Oops. Hello, this is Tara Nevins from Dawn of the Buffalo, and you're listening to Community Radio, WMNF Tampa. Here comes the sun, here comes the sun, I say it's all right. Hello, and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show. On WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Today, we are talking with Dr. Amanda Pike about Florida permaculture and how to transform Florida yards. Your host today is myself, Kenny Coogan, and the wonderful Annie Ellis. And You're always telling me I'm wonderful. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about balancing people, profit, and planet. And uh, earlier this week, Annie was sharing some stuff from the Sustany Awards or something yeah, like that. Uh-huh. And I'm not saying they copied our slogan. I know, right? But in their logo, they had some pictures of people, profit, and planet. I know. <laughs> it's so good. It has to be spread around. Yeah. Well, that is the definition of sustainability. So that's why yeah, we mention exactly. it. Exactly. And uh, I was and of course Mr. Bill Grace is here on Martin Luther King Day. And no one else. <laughs> <laughs> it's us three in the building, I'm yeah. pretty sure. <laughs> and and before the show I was talking about I wanted to share some Yes, your encounter. Wildlife encounter That's news. That's fantastic. We're excited to hear. On Friday night, maybe eight o'clock at night, me and a couple of people were in my dining room. And uh, my neighbors are pretty far away because we each have an acre, so it's pretty. It's very dark outside, but the dining room light was inside. And for probably a couple of months, there's been this invasive Cuban tree frog that hops on the window right. because you know there's bugs and stuff like right. that. And I don't have the heart to kill it. And, no. And and supposedly they're invasive. All my green ones are gone. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> so um, you know we we see it every pretty much every Friday when we have dinner. And we're having dinner, and then we hear, boom! And then we hear, bam, 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 bam. And we look over. You knock and it on the door. There's a screech owl that looks like a cute little stuffed animal with big old eyes attacking this Cuban tree frog. Well, you did your work and, for And they're you. having a, a brawl, and they're kind of <laughs> sliding down the window together, and the the frog is a third of the size of the owl, of by course. the way. Of yeah. And this little owl's just patting his little talons back and forth, and they had a little uh, fight. And, I, and unfortunately, the frog got away. But oh. but it was our highlight of the evening. Yeah, I would say, you know, uh, I have them at both sides of my door, and they, they hide. I know where they hide, you know. And uh, I sometimes I get them and throw them out. I can't kill them. I just can't, don't have the heart to do it. And uh, But I have squished one in the door frame before, you know, uh, accidentally, of course. Uh, but, well, of course, for me. But, yeah, that's, that's too bad he didn't do the job for you, though. Yeah, and then right? about a year ago, I had to get rid of my three screech on nest boxes because... Oh. They were just so filled with honeybees. Oh, that's right. That's you had the bee lady come exactly, over and do that. Yeah. Yep. So uh, that makes me think I got to build more boxes now. Yeah, you need more owls. Yeah, yeah. The, I'm. You know, they've been really talking a lot about the owls over in Safety Harbor. There's a yeah. whole. You know, because we had them on after that first thing happened, where they all the nesting owls died from rodent side mm-hmm. from all the restaurants and so. Well, people, just regular people, put them out too. They think that. Poison, even and then there's this new poison that's supposed to be okay, which it isn't. 
Uh, it's just different. And people put the poison out for rodents. And, uh, and then, of course, the predatory animals are eating them and they're dying. And so it's just a really terrible thing that they're selling that product in the in stores. Well, probably online too. I don't know what the laws are on that, but you know, it's it's a horrible situation. People just think get rid of the rats, and they don't think about how that's going to affect the chain. Yeah, so, sad. But I was happy to see a little screech on. Then about a month yeah, ago, I saw cute. at least one, maybe two bar dolls. Flying around yeah. at dusk. We have them in my neighborhood too, and you know it's real populated in small lots. Uh, but I haven't seen them lately, and I'm fearful because a lot of people in my neighborhood like to use all kinds of poisons. So, but anyway. But if you uh, have a permaculture style landscape, which I do, and you have ground cover, and I you do. have shrubs, and you have trees, everything, you can encourage wildlife. Well, in that mine is the oasis on the block. <laughs> <laughs> They're all there. They eat all my fruits and vegetables. <laughs> and oh. today we're going to be talking about permaculture, Florida permaculture. Yes, to excited. Be specific. So um, Annie's going to introduce Dr. Amanda Pike. Yes, a doctor. Dr. Amanda Pike, she's a board-certified therapist, certified an educational leader and owner with her husband and son of a two-acre Florida permaculture farm complete with over 200 species of edible plants, free-roaming chickens, and 26 beehives. That's a lot. Dr. Pike serves as an education chair and chapter representative for the Palm Beach County chapter of the Native Plant Society. As a, a local 4-H program facilitator, Dr. Pike helps make food forestry an accessible and practical landscaping option for the community. Thank you so much for being on the show, Amanda. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, we are excited to have you. I've been watching Amanda for a little while on social media, and she's just, as as she progresses, or she and her husband and and son progress in their uh, landscape, I mean, the things that they're doing now is just incredible. I'm just excited about it. But we have some questions, and we'll get started. And, and, you know, anything that you think is really important to talk about, you just jump on in. So I'm going to start off with... um, we have a, uh, our number one question is some researchers fear Earth will soon have more people than food supply chains to support them unless more substantial approaches are quickly adopted. How can home gardeners make a difference? I think that's Kenny's question. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a really important question. We've got a lot going on in the world today. I mean, every time you turn on the news, for the most part, it's... It's a lot of negativity sort of yeah. blasted towards you, and it leads to feelings of anxiety. So anxiety is one of our main issues in society right now that a lot of people, but especially children, are dealing with. And the good news is most people have the main thing needed to address the issues that researchers are concerned about, and that's yards. The 78% of the United States is privately owned. So that gives private owners a lot of power to do good in the world. And some people think of sustainability as something that is purely regulated by the government, right? The government should put in laws or committees should place policies, but really sustainability is something that happens every day. It's not, it's a value system and it's an ideal that you live out 
through the decisions you make little by little. Mm -hmm. And it improves not only quality of life, but the surrounding beauty. And I, I liked what you guys were talking about, just observing nature and what a stress relief that is, you know, seeing it really is. the hummingbirds. We have a lush vegetation right outside of our bay window. And so every morning um, we sit for breakfast and we see hummingbirds and we see bees and butterflies and it brings such joy first thing in the morning. So it's something that wakes up your wakes up your senses lets you know that you're alive and you're part of this beautiful ecosystem mm -hmm. that an ecosystem is not separate from human ecology right and i think Right. Yeah, exactly. That's the circle, right? That we all are a big part of. Uh, and I think a lot of people, you know, they just get in their car, get out of their car, go in their house, you know, get back in their their garage, get in their car, go to some other place, and they don't even interact with it. So there's a lot, a lot to be said about uh, what we can all do personally. I, I wanted to add that speaking about there's so many people who are private landowners, because I'm really big into carnivorous plants in Texas, there's this one type of carnivorous plant and it's in its native range, 95% of it is on private property. Mm. Oh, yeah. And in Florida, that's kind of the growing trend as well. So not just for carnivorous plants, but for wildflowers. So if we want to protect the ecosystem, the little bugs, the butterflies, the native plants, we have to engage with the private landowners and yeah. educate them. Yeah. And, and, you, and be private landowners. I mean, you know, years ago, years ago, the definition of wealth was land ownership. That's true. That's true. And it still <laughs> abounds. I mean, if you have land, then you have the right to cho choose and make choices that are better for your family, better for the world, and better for future generations. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because when you say that, you, you know, obviously to me, if the the better choices you make for your you and your family is a better choice for the world. You know, if you're going to be doing an organic garden and you're going to be bringing in the wildlife and uh, being an oasis for all these uh, wild plants and, and things like that, uh, then, you know, it's just a natural end game to be, uh, you know, positive for the whole world. So, so, Amanda, can you tell us how the quality of life can be improved through sustainable practices like growing your own food? Sure. So in today's world, you know, we hear all about cancer. I mean, cancer is on the news all the time. And it's one of those things that just the word fills people with dread and, it, it was and on worry. The that, show. Yeah, and it <laughs> exactly was on, yeah, right. the previous one, right, that we're talking about. And if you just visit the American Cancer Association webpage and you look up the top five causes of cancer, I mean, number one, is diet and lifestyle oh. and pesticides, herbicides, these things are known carcinogens. And when you grow your own food, not only do you have control over whether or not these toxic chemicals are sprayed, but even more essentially, you have access to nutrition that you don't have even if you buy organic produce at the grocery store. So when you go to the grocery store and you buy something, let's say a head of broccoli, that broccoli was carried in from thousands of miles away. The average head of broccoli travels 1,800 miles before it gets to the store. 
And then it's in the store for however long, and then it's in your fridge for however long, and then you cook it, and then it becomes a leftover in your fridge. And so by the time it's eaten, the micronutrients in that food are all but gone. And the flavor is too. So a lot of children, you know, they say, you know, the vegetables don't taste good. And you know what? They are right. They don't taste good because they lack the nutrients they're supposed to have. And you can, I have a, a raspberry bush on in my yard. Can and I touch so, on ra- that? Can I touch sure. on that? So uh, what you were just talking about is like the, the the length of time between picking and eating, basically, is all that the uh, the good, good, good juju is going to be gone, uh, or most of it is. Most of it just then turns into a bulk product that tastes a certain way. But then the other thing that you were talking about was that nobody knows what things really taste like. Well, they're picking those tomatoes green so they and they gas them to ripen so they're That's orange, it. but they never taste like a tomato, yeah. you know. So, I mean, there's so many things. I, I was looking, uh, I, there's a person over in St. Pete, I can't think of the name of their their little farm, but they're they're picking it as you come. <laughs> you p- they pick it and give it to you for purchase at that moment, and not just Beautiful. tomatoes, also bananas, oh, everything, lots of yeah, lots every, of fruits, everything. Yeah. yeah, being involved in the cultivation is yeah essential for getting the ripest, freshest food, but also the process. You're moving, and so sitting is the new smoking, right? Just oh, right. the amount of time that humans are now sedentary is contributing to a lot of health problems, and so. Uh, we had friends over for a New Year's party and we were serving them food forest, you know, treats and we were eating and laughing. And, and one of my friends turns to me and says, so how many how many steps, you know, do you basically accumulate walking in your food forest? And it was a question that really struck me because when I worked in corporate and I, you know, and I was a therapist sitting and listening all day, I did keep a little pedometer and I did track my steps because I had to. And I, it was a f- question that I hadn't thought about in so many years. And I said, I, you know, I have no idea, but we're just constantly moving mm-hmm. and it feels so good that we want to be outside. And so every day, you know, my son and I were eager to get outside during the weekends when both my husband and I were working long hours, we were just so exhausted mentally that physically we we felt like we weren't able to get that zest. And now we look at each other and we're like, we got to get out there, you know, let's get out there. And we want to just walk the property, harvest food, eat the food. We want to, you know, plant new things, take cuttings, propagate. We, we know what we're going to be doing mm-hmm. this weekend and it's full of joy. It doesn't cost us money. It saves us so much money. 70% of what we're eating on average comes from the yard. It goes up to 90% sometimes. So, you know, we're saving a ton of money and the food tastes so good. Eating is one of the best joys of life. I mean, who doesn't love just, you know, the flavors and and having like sweet nectar drip down your chin, that's the stuff that dreams are made of. You I know, love you're that. like, that's poetry, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Let and me go so, ahead and re- reintroduce us. Um, uh, I'm Annie Ellis, and you're listening to the Sustainable Living Show at WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is Amanda Pike, and we are talking about transforming Florida yards and how to begin to live sustainably. Uh, if you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663, text us at 813-433-0885, or send us an email at dj at WMNF. 
nf.org, and we will read it on the air. Uh, you know, we're almost halfway in the show, so, uh, <laughs> so we so need Amanda, to, like, really go in it. <laughs> we're doing fine, Annie. Okay. <laughs> it's it's only us, Amanda and Bill, so. Yeah, it's four people on the radio. <laughs> and, all, and all the listeners. So, Amanda, we want to encourage listeners to grow more food in their backyard. And you keep talking about permaculture, so can you talk about some of the uh, perennial edibles that you recommend for maybe Central Florida or at sure. least Florida? Yes. So when you think about growing your own food, if you want to replace the bulk of your groceries, then you've got to break it down into a 60-30 sort of percentage. And so you've got 60% macronutrients. These are your proteins, your starches, your carbohydrates, um, things of this nature, your oils. And then you've got your mac your micronutrients, things that are rich in vitamins and minerals, and then your phytochemicals are the remaining 10%. So I'll give you some examples of what those foods are. So 60% of macronutrients would be things like green banana. So I make flour out of my green banana. I make tortillas out of it, bread out of it. Kasava, a plant called achira is also really great. If you want to go for things that are going to provide you with essential shade, Florida is hot. Things like jackfruit for South Florida are really great. Pigeon pea, winged bean, these are things that are equivalent to soybean in terms of having lots of protein, having that delicious fat content, and that your body needs to absorb vitamins and minerals. Things that we see all the time, like cocoa plum actually is a staple crop around the world because its seeds are rich in oil and protein. Tropical almond, Coconut, moringa, avocado, these are your macronutrients that should be 60% of what you're growing. If you've got 60% of these, then you can make flour easily. It's not time consuming. And then you get to the fun part of baking, you know, and cooking and making the delicious things you're used to, like pasta and lasagna and tortillas and these things. Yeah. Um, and so could you tell us some of the micronutrients? And then we have two calls. Yeah, micronutrients like vitamins and minerals. So these would be, for example, dark leafy greens. One of my favorites is Ibica. It tastes like butter. It melts in your mouth. Moringa leaves, uh, things like collards, um, fermented foods. So taking that and making kimchi, making sauerkraut for your B12. And then the phytochemicals, 10%, those are things like the herbs, the spices, the teas, and things like sugarcane. It's delicious. Mushrooms. Yeah, they're all good. Uh, so we have uh, uh, some uh, calls. Um, Kenny, you want to go ahead and take that? Sure. The first person we'll take is Gary. Hi, Gary. Hey, good morning. Great show. I love the Sustainable Living Show. I listen to it every week. Thank you. You know, I'm, I'm listening to this lady on growing um, gardens, and, and it's, it sounds great. I have acreage, so I, I do have a garden. But for those that don't have room... You know, I've got my 84-year-old mother with grow boxes, and yes. she's got 12 of them. And right now, she's just like paradise there. I, last night, I had California, uh, um, uh, broccoli and cali cali what the heck is it? Um, uh, cauliflower? Or calabrese? California casserole my, my, my wife made last night for us out of it. But she's got tomatoes, strawberries. Lettuces and it grows so well, yeah. And it's so easy for her too. Um, that that that's a great option for people listening, and you know, because for some people that live in new developments, 
the ground that they're growing on or trying to grow on is actually the ground they dug up underneath the topsoil. So they don't have topsoil on top, which is gray loam from Florida, which is great to grow in. So they got to go out there with a pickaxe. So no, I, no I, love, I love hearing this. And this is, yes, it's so important. So traditionally, those raised beds were your immediate food source, your short-term solution. You know, raised beds can be expensive for some. Building them, restocking the soil, irrigating them and then consistently weeding them. And so on the short term, they do provide a quicker yield. And then the permaculture fits in, it's not either or. And the ideal is that you do what feels good. Like you were saying, your mom loves it. Well, fantastic, you know? The permaculture is something that it is a longer term goal. Perennials do grow slower, but they yield longer without irrigation, without the weeding, without the work. And so an annual garden needs to be reset every year. So it doesn't transform the landscape long-term and it's not something that you would really pass on to your children. One thing though about that is that you can do uh, your uh, perennials in pots as well. I have five different types of spinaches in different containers, Uh, you know, and so that's the thing that we can also do. Sir, do you have any more questions or comments? He left left us. Okay. We have another call. That's right. We're going to take Tom. Hi, Tom. Hey, Tom. I think uh, wording is uh, super important, uh, especially in America. And I propose that we rename ecosystem into life support system because that's (laughs) really what it is. It's our lives and it's our support. Um, Okay, uh, Annie and Kenny uh, uh, convinced me uh, to grow um, uh, eggplant and okra uh, during the summer. And uh, I haven't uh, called in to complain about this yet, but here I am. Um, (laughs) And my... My eggplant uh, came out uh, oh a little bit bigger than my pinky, um, and uh, and I only got one okra out of the four okra plants. My plant, I got one uh, per per plant, um, and, uh, and 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 I am bound to determine to grow moringa. Uh, I think it's um, a very highly underrated plant. And I hear it grows great in Florida. And my my question is on all three of these: How do I ensure? then I get maximum production out of them, and I might have a follow-up if I could stay on the lot. You need to feed them, that's for sure. Well, well, first, Tom, are you growing the okra and the eggplant in the ground or in raised beds? In ground. Okay. One problem is that Florida has a lot of nematodes. Nematodes are tough. Both Annie and I are are, are thinking about nematodes. So if you dig up those plants, you probably already did probably, but you'll probably see like little knots in the roots, and that definitely stunts the plants. Crab meal is a wonderful thing to help with uh, nematode, nematode suppressant as well. Um, and then anything... But they're pretty easy to grow in pots yeah. when you bring in soil yeah. or if you... Um, and uh, eggplant... Well, I'd love uh, to can, chime in. I, I well, mean, this, one, sec, well, one second. Let me just throw <laughs> this one thing out there and then you jump in, Amanda. Uh, so eggplants can live for years and they can become like a tree form almost. So, so go ahead, Amanda. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say that, you know, growing annuals against a native tree like an oak can help to prevent problems like nematodes. And so with constant leaf litter, the soil is not exposed to direct sunlight and nematodes are often most prevalent where you've got direct sun. So the the soil is basically baked. And so the microorganisms that would eat those nematodes 
they go elsewhere. They go to where it's more moist, where there is more shade. And so you have an infestation because mainly of too much sun. Well, so let, me, in- let me ask you then, because, you know, with with uh, a lot of uh, lettuces in the winter and so on like that, just a lot of things, they have to get a lot of sun to be oh, able yeah. to be big enough. So how? what is yeah. your solution to that? Well, on the seed packets, you know, it'll say full sun. And what they mean is full Seattle sun, full well, Rochester I sun. in Florida, yeah. too. So I, mine do require a certain amount of their stunted. So well, They require six to eight is typical for right. a flowering plant. And most of the food that we eat are flowering plants. However, it's also true of UV intensity, how many hours Got you it. need it. So most plants in Florida, if you don't have irrigation and we're, like I said, growing up to 70% on average, what we eat comes from the yard. We do not have irrigation. Wow. If you have intense direct sunlight, then what you need are supplemental fertilizers and constant irrigation. Mm -hmm. And that's what's required with full sun. If you have dappled light because you've got an ecosystem of natives or pioneer trees like pigeon pea, and you have a well-mulched soil, it does not matter if you're growing in poor soil. That mulch is gonna make soil for you as it breaks down. You're gonna attract all of these subterranean organisms that are going to create soil, and you're going to repel the problem insects, the problem microorganisms, because you're gonna have predation. You're gonna have uh, like a food chain under the soil. And so for me, I tell everybody the sweet spot in Florida, that's dappled light. Yeah, that sounds lived great. In Rochester, you know, me- and I've lived in these places with cloud cover and we've got a lot of intense sunlight. So just like a human, if you go outside for your vitamin D and you go outside at noon, you only need 15 minutes. If you go outside at like, you know, 10 a.m. or 6 p.m., then you need probably 30 minutes to more to an hour, two hours to get your vitamin D full. And it's the same with plants. It depends on the UV intensity. And if the UV intensity is harsh, then you're going to have to compensate water, fertilizer. Right, right. so can I ask you a question? Uh, uh, so when you're talking about the pigeon peas, because that was a long time ago in that conversation, uh, that uh, would also uh, supplement with some nitrogen for that plant, wouldn't it? Because it is a, a legume? Or is Absolutely. That, okay. So much of what you can eat serves the ecosystem directly as a nitrogen fixer, for example. Right. Um, so pigeon pea, we eat it just like edamame. Oh, so yeah, I they're delicious. It, they're delicious. Yeah. And you can just hack that thing back, drop the greens, the hacked parts onto the ground, and it's that is a natural fertilizer. Oh, chop That's and called, drop. Yeah, right. it's green okay. Well, we have some well, uh, more calls. Well, first, so Amanda, uh, Tom is still on the line. He talked about okra yeah. and eggplant, which I, hopefully we address, but he also wants to know about sure. moringa. So can you tell us about how do you grow it? How do you propagate it? Some basic stuff. And some uh, nutri- nutritious facts. Moringa will grow in poor soil. Moringa is drought resilient. Moringa is originally a desert crop. And so it's a plant that is considered a pioneer crop. So you don't need anything special for Moringa. And if it's not flowering, then you can take cuttings and stick those right in the ground. This is why Moringa is considered kind of the miracle food, right? Because you don't need money or skill or really even time. I mean, I went around my yard and just stuck Moringa seeds all over. And I thought, 
couple, you know, a couple of weeks later, I didn't see anything. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I didn't put any effort in. Of course, it's not going to grow. Fast forward to the rainy season. And for sure, it did grow. And that's fantastic. And now you can baby them. I, I'll, I'll put them in three inch pots, get them to about, you know, a foot tall. And then I just I plant them out. And that's all the attention they get from me. I don't water it. I might put a little bit of mulch at the base at the time that I plant it. That is it. And they will grow. And they're the type of tree that, you know, the book, The Giving Tree, if that that book had featured Moringa, that would have been a happy story. (laughs) Because when you chainsaw Moringa down to, say, chest height, and you wait six more months, it's going to flush out a ton of little bitty stems Full of leaves. Delicious You're, young leaves, too, yes, by, by the way. Chainsaw it back. Yeah, it's great. Exactly. We have calls all over the place. So, do we want to finish that call up with uh, Tom? Do you have uh, more? Yeah, just, 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 uh, just real quickly. Uh, uh, I got 100 Moringa seeds. So when's the best time <laughs> to plant? And if uh, at some point you could expand on the microbiome in the soil. I caught that uh, that's what we want, and I'm thinking that's my problem. So thank you, and I'll hang up and listen. Thank you, Tom, for calling. And listening every week. Yes, and listening every week. Uh, so, um, Amanda, you were talking Maria. about when you put them in the little pots. Can you talk about do they get a tap root or like what age do they yes. get a tap root where it's too I mean, late to transplant them? So most tree, really. hurricane resistant trees are going to have a tap root. You want to give them some room. That's why I only keep them in like a three inch pot. And then as soon as I see roots coming out the bottom of that pot, they go right out yeah. to, the, to the food forest. And I plant way more than I need and I don't I don't sweat how many make it because I've got I've got 20 times I planted 20 times that's a great idea uh as far as like if you plant a ton of them something's gonna make it so then you don't have to do all the babying to it which is also stressful for the human so that's a real good point so if Tom has 100 seeds maybe he could start growing some indoors or in a greenhouse and then maybe they're deciduous um, deciduous plants tend to, they have kind of a determined point of sprouting. Yes, you can grow them inside if you want. That'll help them. They're temperature sensitive. So yeah. seeds, seeds are temperature sensitive and deciduous plants, they have a period of dormance, you know, when they're dormant during the winter. And so, yeah, spring is the best time to so, put your deciduous seeds in the ground. So when you put yours out, when you put all those zillions of seeds out, what time of the year was it? Because then you said when the rainy season came, they cracked open and went. So yes. I'm wondering, did they go through the dormancy? It, when Annie and I both have our arms folded and we're wearing long pants and we're, we just cannot imagine a cute little seed sprouting right now. We're so cold. <laughs> we're, we're cold. So, so the ground is kind of like a, a refrigerator, right? So so if you put your seeds down now, um, they're not going to do anything. So it's really about managing your own expectation. Um, but would they be okay? Them, That's my yes, point. That's my absolutely. whole point. It's like yes, you put them in the put ground and they just kind of hang out with their yep. arms crossed yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for the rain, rainy yes. season, right? Is that what you're saying? I, Yes, my okay. motto is you do it when it's convenient for you, and uh-huh. that plant's going to do it when it's convenient That's for them. That's a great a little saying. I love that. That's great. All right. So another thank call? you, Amanda. Yes, so we have another caller, and we have Sarah on the line. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Um, I know I need to mulch my garden more because I have like a couple of just, you know, little raised beds just so that I could add a lot of stuff to my soil. And, um, I, I struggle with mulching, but then also planting stuff from seeds in there and then 
I mean, how thick can the mulch be and the seeds still make it up? Yeah, very That's good. a great question. That's a great question. So it depends on the seed and the shape of the seed, right? And, and how you're planting it. So the ideal thickness of mulch is about three to five inches. And what kind of mulch? Yes, what kind of well, mulch? I'm truth? trying to use more like oak leaves. And, um, you know, I use some pine needles and... Um, Straw, hay. I haven't really used that just because of the sourcing issues. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. But so we I, I, I do the goat poop that's mixed with hay from the dancing goat. Yeah, farm. from Pam. Awesome. And so I'm trying to use free stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> mostly. Yes, so. yes. That's what we like. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, but then I'm, I'm. It gets so. I don't know. I'm just struggling with the, the. Planting in place is what you're concerned about. Is that yeah, your thing? Yeah, I mean, I do some seedlings. You know, stuff that you're supposed to start, but then some stuff. You know, it's better to direct so. Right. So it's all about timing. And so I get, I have relationships with tree tremors and I ask them just to drop whatever they have. If they've got the oak, the pine, my favorite is coconut choir or palm, palm. Oh, wow. And that is nobody else's favorite. No, and it so, isn't. I'm surprised. Right. Yes. So if you are going to be putting um, pine, oak, the bark, the, the stuff that's thick, that's carbon rich. And so that's going to suppress growth. It's going to suck up some nutrients. And so it's going to long-term feed, but it's, it's going to be a while. You're, you use that to suppress. So when I have a tree trimmer drop some what, what everybody else wants, you know, the oak and the pine, um, I put that around the perimeter of my house to suppress. When they drop for me palm, <laughs> shredded palm, I mean, that's what I use to feed. Oh. And so if I've got banana and a chira and malanga and like trees and it's the dry season, that's the stuff I want. Because if I get one rain, the coconut is going to absorb 10 times its weight in water. And then it's going to slowly release it back. That, this that oak, is amazing, Aunt Amanda. Yeah, the oak bark is not going to do no. that. So, so if you're going to plant it, it yeah. if they... If they drop off a ton of the palm and the coconut, nobody wants it. They're always looking to get rid of it. I'm like, bring yeah. it over. Wow. And so I will, I'll spread that. And it's also easy to move with a pitchfork. You can fill a wheelbarrow with like one pitchfork full. Yeah. And so you get your three to five inches in no time. I then take that if I'm establishing a new area in the food forest, lay down cardboard, maybe manure if I, you know, if I have it, and then that mulch. And then I go around my yard and I collect all my wildflower seeds. I let them be my pioneer plants. And I literally just throw the seed on top of that mulch. So and usually the wildflower seeds are shaped like little swords. And so they just, with the rainfall, they spear their way all the way down. Yeah. And now, they grow. She's thinking about, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Sarah. about Sarah. Aren't you talking about like you want to do some annual vegetables and that sort of thing? Yeah, Is that correct? I so mean, you that's wanted to one of the things. Yeah. So you <laughs> wanted to find out do you need to uh, start your seeds uh, in um, pots and then or seed trays or whatever and then transfer that for them or is there something about the mulching that's going to stop that or start that and i think that's really what you want to know isn't it yeah the like when you're saying you know you want mulch three to five inches but if i'm growing no, not for little seeds yeah yeah for little so seeds. this my approach is is food forestry. So I, we have like a five-year plan. And after five years, I, I don't plan on planting anything anymore. Yeah. I plan on only yeah. harvesting. 
So if you're planting annuals, then you're going to have to, yes, pull that mulch apart. you got to get down to the soil and then you leave yourself kind of a conical shape, right? Where okay. you've pulled the mulch away, you've revealed yeah. the soil, and now you're, you're just simply using that mulch to suppress competition. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a, that's a different, that's a whole, that's a different thing. And if you're planting um, perennials, you do the same thing. You get down past the carbon. Right. Okay. Now- if you're direct seeding, it depends on the mulch. Okay. You know what? I did get a chip drop this year, um, but Yay. it was mostly all oak and pine, like you said, and I didn't put that in my raised bed garden. It was mostly for mulching my, um, you know, other areas of my yard where but, I have plants and stuff, and I didn't really think that that would be good for the garden beds, yeah. and it seems like that's what you were saying, too. It suppresses. Unless yeah. it can break down, you know. Right. And, After and, a year or you know, two, then. <laughs> what I do in in a raised bed is I open up a, a row or, or wherever I'm going to be planting, and then I put the mulch between them. So okay. it's between them to suppress the weeds right. and to hold in the moisture, but the soil contact is straight down the, the line or however you're planting. Okay. Is that what you agree with, Amanda? Yes. You'll have to get down to the soil. Yeah. Okay. Great. Awesome. So don't give up, Sarah. And (laughs) and since you already have that uh, chip drop, it's just going to start decaying underneath. And especially like those winter uh, brassicas, like your cabbage and your lettuces and your broccolis and your radishes, once they self-seed or once they go to flower like this spring, Next fall, winter, you're going to have a bunch of little babies popping up in the mulch. Yeah. I, I like it. It will work. Whenever <laughs> I get the big chip drops and I spread it out into areas that it's not planted, I uh, let that decompose for the year and then I put that in the bed and I get a new one and put that in that area. That's what I yeah. do. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for calling. All right. So I have some announcements. Um, remember, you're listening to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is Amanda Pike, and we're talking about transforming Florida yards. If you want to be part of the conversation, you can send us an email at dj at wmnf.org, and we will read it on air. And we do have a bunch of them, and I'm going to read them in just a minute. But first, Mr. Bill Grace has an important message. Well, there you are just sitting out there in Radio Land enjoying the Sustainable Living Show and wondering how can you show your support. Just go to our website, WMNF.org, and click on the tip jar at the top of the screen. Be sure to direct your donation to SUL for Sustainable Living. And just let me say, supporting Sustainable Living in WMNF Tampa will be the most rewarding thing that you can do with your clothes on. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. And uh, oh, this Bill. is particularly important because in about a month we have a big fundraiser. So Amanda, you have a lot of emails and I'm going to read them to you now. One is from Robin and she says, here's my natural rat killer, my resident watch bird on the back fence. And she sent us a picture of this beautiful red-shouldered hawk sitting on the fence. And she says, great show as always. And then Robin uh, sent us a follow-up email. She wants to know, what are your opinions regarding the Chaya shrub, chaya tree, or spinach tree. And then um, she lives in Bradenton, and she sent us some more pictures of her sunflowers sprouting. That's so pretty. That popped up this week. So, Amanda, can you tell us what a chaya spinach tree is, and if you use it, what do you do with it? And then we have a few more uh, texts as well. Yes. uh, So, chaya is one of my favorite plants, and I like the kuda variety. Really? Because it flowers, and so it serves a dual purpose of being a pollinator plant and food for me. 
it's was originally imported as an ornamental. It's a very attractive plant, grows fast. It's drought tolerant. So you can plant it all over your yard without irrigation and know that you're going to have food. So most women my age at this point in life start to become calcium deficient. It's after childbirth. I'm a mom. And when a woman's pregnant, you know, the the micronutrients, they go to the baby first and the mom second. So plants like chai are just so essential in the United States. 50% of women over the age of 50 have osteoporosis. So it's calcium deficiency being the leading cause of that. Chaya is so rich in calcium. It does require that you boil it, which is scary for some reason for some people. Um, but you have to boil white potatoes. You know, no one's going to eat a white potato like an apple. So it's just this cultural revival of like feeling that it's it's comfortable to be in the kitchen again. Um, and so t- I just chainsaw the whole tree down to a nub and I drag the whole tree into my pool enclosure. I harvest all the leaves and I boil a huge pot of chaya and uh, I boil it for about 20 minutes and then I drain the water and I stir fry it with capers and raisins for that saltiness, sweetness. And chaya itself has just a really delightful... <sighs> It's like an herb, but it's also like a spinach without that metallic mouthfeel. Um, and then I, I usually put like a phyllo dough on top and I bake it so that it has a crunch in addition to the sweet and salty. And we eat that as our green throughout the week. When you boil something or cook something, you're not going to remove the fat-soluble minerals like calcium. So you don't have to worry about that. Very so when good. I go when I go to Chaya, I'm going to it for calcium and iron. I saw that green pie online and it was awesome. She, I want to talk about some of her food in a little while because she does so yes. much. So Amanda, we have about 13 minutes and you have a lot of emails. We so we're going to do a quick fire round. <laughs> Donna wants to know, what do you do with Biden's Elba? Biden's Elba is the third most important pollinator plant in Florida. I leave it for my bees. It's also a bioremediator plant. It removes toxins from your soil. If you question whether or not you have toxins in your soil, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, yes, you do. We <laughs> share rainwater. Uh, you also, if you have like an asphalt roof, you're, you're getting chemicals off of it. And so having plants like Biden's Alba um, that are bioaccumulating toxins, they don't put those out in the flowers. It's not going to hurt the pollinators. They put them out in their leaves. Um, it's doing you a favor, especially if you grow your edibles among Biden's Alba like I do. Uh, it makes sure that those toxins are not going into your food stock. That is a great tip. Very good. So Donna also says, uh, Jenny Steibolt, a Florida author of many native plant gardening we books. We had her on the show. That's right. Friend <laughs> of the show. Recommends tilling under marigolds to prevent nematode damage. I've used done sunflowers but have no data for its efficiency. So Amanda, is there a trick for tilling under marigolds or other things to limit or prevent nematodes? So I'm in the permaculture camp and so it's really no-till. So I, if you think about Personally, I want to do as little work as possible and eat as much as possible. And so if I'm out there, you know, ripping my soil up, it's a lot of sweat. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm not eating. Um, So I am planting things that are going to repel the nematodes, yes, and doing chop and drop, yes, and putting mulch down and attracting predators, planting Mm -hmm. uh, natives like oaks, elms, pines that are going to bring predatory soldier bugs and I do scatter my marigold 
um, seeds, but I don't have a nematode problem. I did when I first arrived, but now yes, I'm creating that dappled light, yeah. that dappled shape. And I think the other problem is that fire ants and nematodes like sandy soils that don't have a lot of nutrients. Right. So if you keep building up your soil with They'll go elsewhere. Mulch and other Problem things. Problem solved. They're going to yeah. go deeper yeah. or elsewhere. Yeah. I was just going to say that uh, Michelle, who was on last week, mm-hmm. I think it was, she was talking about a specific type of marigold that is really more of a nematode. So you can go to the show and listen For on demand, week. and uh, she would uh, tell you what that one is. I can't recall it this minute. All right. So, Amanda, you got a couple more emails and messages. This is from Valerie in Gulfport. She says, hi, I planted a Moringa a moringa stick years ago and it's become a massive tree that survives every time I chainsaw it. <laughs> I've read about the health benefits but I find the leaves have a bitter aftertaste. How do you eat it in a way that tastes good? Okay, my favorite way to eat moringa, it does have a peppery flavor. Um, so I will sprinkle it as a pepper alternative into my stews. Are, well, fresh, fresh leaves? Well, yeah, fresh leaves. If I'm going to use it in bulk, I do a couple different things. I'll dehydrate it and put it right into my bread when I make fresh bread. Or my absolute favorite way is I'll blanch it and I'll make a pesto. And boy, is that pesto ridiculously delicious. What, what nuts do you put in with that pesto? Whatever nuts I have on hand. Just and I try to put nuts in that can grow in my area. So oh, my favorite notes point. right now are cashews and pistachios because both can grow in Florida. And so I'm... I'm when I buy things at the grocery store, I'm mindful. Can could this grow in Florida? Right. And if it can, I don't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna buy it. Yeah. Then that's really a unifying uh, thing for us. That's a great idea. Very good. She, um, uh, Valerie, also adds. She's curious about the plants that you can, that can be used to make flour. Uh, Amanda mentioned green banana. So. And you just mentioned it again. So can you mention and we, or talk about how you make shortly, flour? Because we yeah. are And it really low. depends on what type of food you're going to make, what type of plant you're going to use for that flour. So bananas are pure starch. They're wonderful for like tortillas, yum, yum. Toast, do you, flatbread. Do you dry them and then grind them and then yes. flour? Is that how you do it? Yes. So I usually will take a whole rack, like a giant rack of bananas and I'll... Uh, cut the ends off the peel and I'll slice it through, boil it um, oh. to remove the tannins, peel it, chop it up. I'll use some as a potato substitute, make potato salad. I'll make mashed potatoes. Um, you know, I'll do things like this. I'll feed some to my sourdough How starter. How long do you boil it? I usually boil it about 10 minutes. Okay. Just enough to loosen the peel so that I'm not in there like trying to, you right. know, pry right. the peel Less off. Work. The starch. Yeah. Yes. And then... Um, then I dehydrate whatever's left over. I mean, I may, I'm, I have huge racks and I have huge yeah. racks often. So I'll just stick it in the dehydrator. And then whenever I'm ready, I'll just take that dehydrated uh, banana, stick it in my Vitamix, make flour, and then have it on hand. Okay. And really- so you don't make the flour until you're ready to use it. That's a great idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and uh, so inevitably I have some left over because even sure. if I just blend down everything in my dehydrator. I store it in my freezer so it doesn't, you know... So does that work like thickening agent and everything? Like a, a Absolutely. Oh, that's, for stews, that's super cool. Yes, it's great. And you can also make pasta out of it just yeah. by adding an egg as a binder. But yeah. you can do the same thing with any kind of starch, kasava, achira. But once you get into things like jackfruit seeds, well, now that's a balanced protein right, carb. Right. And so then you can make some really beautiful bread with it. You know, we're getting so low on time. I'm but, concerned. But we got a couple 
one more? Th- yes, and I also want to ask you one thing too after <laughs> after this. All right. So we have uh, Sandy in Bradenton, and she has a sand problem. Okay. She says, "Hi guys, love the show. My yard is full of weeds, clover, but is very sandy, and there are patches of sand with nothing growing in there." So, Amanda, do you have Chip a drop. do you have a recommendation <laughs> of what to grow in these sandy locations that yeah, maybe so, uh, Sandy can eat? Sure. So, if w- when we first colonized our yard, we did the walk around, and any areas that had dead grass like that, yes, we put mulch. But if we were feeling particularly lazy, I would just stick a pigeon pea seed there, a nitrogen fixer, or I would put a cassava cutting, just plunk it right there. Cassava will have bigger tubers in the poor soil. Richer soil gives more leaf mass. So with tubers, you want poor soil. So you just plunk that cassava right into that bare spot. And uh, the tubers are going to help with drainage if that's the yeah. problem. It's and super easy, grow. super easy to grow. You just stick the stick yeah. of it in the ground, boom, there it is. Mine yeah. took a while. Mine took almost two years to get some real uh, uh, tubers, though. But we are really low on time. One thing I do want to ask you is, well, mention, you have a book coming out in April, right? Isn't that what it yes. is? And it's called Transforming Florida Yards. And um, you wrote it, and, and you wrote it because of all the information that you're gathering and you want to share with everybody, correct? Right. You know, I have a six-year-old and I want to feed him safely. Yes. Yes. So a lot of these foods, you know, I had a lady come over yesterday. We give free tours on Sundays at five. And You're she was in Jupiter, like, Florida, right? Jupiter, Florida. Yeah. yeah. And she was like, are you growing anything like normal? <laughs> you know, <laughs> What's normal? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you know, Public supermarket, uh, normal. Yeah. <laughs> we're growing. And I told her, like, you're growing European annuals. You know, like, did yeah. we or did we not emancipate from Britain? You know, right, are we or are we right. not independent? Are we, you know, what are we? Do you grow <laughs> what you can, what you can grow year round, ideally. And so a lot of this stuff is kind of a cultural revival where you're relearning because yeah. you eat. You learn. You learn how yes. to eat that. You know, it's like yes. you're, 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 uh, you expand your palate, you open it you expand up. Expand your palate. And, you, and I want to do it safely. Yeah. Because like Chaya, you have to cook it. And so I'm going to feed it to my kid. How long do I cook it? What's the research say? So I created one page cheat sheets for all the 200 species that I'm either growing or considered seriously growing. And then on it is how to grow it, why you should grow it, any cultural facts, like did it, help millions survive during famine. Right, you know, right. Like, well, you know, and then we're recipe. out of time, Amanda. This is so fun. <laughs> I had so much fun with you guys. I'm Thank so glad. you. That's good. That's what it's all about. And we appreciate fun. all the listeners participating. Oh, absolutely. And obviously it was struck a nerve because we got a lot of people that were interested. Plus it's uh, a day off for a lot of people as well. But thank you so much for being on. I'll be really interested. I want you, please come, you know, contact me when the, the book comes back out or comes out. Uh, and then we'll, you know, talk about that. And, uh, and I also want you guys to go to her uh, check our social media and go to her webpage because uh, tell us what that webpage is real quick. So my Facebook page is Transforming Florida Yards. I post free tips and recipes. And then our webpage is pikefarm.com. Yes, and it is fantastic. I'm going to tell you, she made three different types of uh, pickled uh, uh, green uh, papaya. And I was, I was impressed. I mean, there's just uh, so many things she makes every day with the things that she's growing. So thanks for being on here. We appreciate thanks you, Amanda. Me. Have a great day. Thank Have you, Have a Amanda. wonderful day. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care.
All right, so we just have a couple minutes left, and we want to talk about some events that are happening in this area. The UF IFAS Extension Manatee County's Residential Horticulture Program is hosting a community-wide scavenger hunt to celebrate Florida's Arbor Day, which is January 20th. I did not know until about two weeks ago that some states have a different Arbor Day than the country. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So, like, Either. the country's Arbor Day is in April, I think, but for Florida, it is always a Friday, and this year it is January 20th. Participants can explore Emerson Point Preserve, uh, Conservatory Park, the nest at Robinson Preserve, and downtown Bradington's Riverwalk while searching for trees with a Tree Quest tag. Once found, participants can scan the QR code on the tag to open an online survey where they will be asked to enter information about the tree and register an email address for the chances to win prizes. Also this week, this Saturday, January 21st, at Urban Roots Garden Supply, which is in Carrollwood, there will be a plant swap and plant sale. Everyone is welcome to come and bring plants to trade, sell, buy, and you can also mingle with other planty people in the Tampa area. Planty people. And it is from 10 a.m. to 12.30, so it's only a two and a half hour event in the morning, Saturday. I will be there, and maybe a handful of other vendors, but what's more fun is that everybody just brings cuttings and surplus plants, and you just mingle, and you just... You and your it's friend. A swap. Yeah, you and your friend yeah. just say, "Yep, I want to. I agree. I'll take one of these for three of those." Right. Yeah, and you know that's we used to have those a lot at different. Uh, you know, we have events like that a lot before COVID, exactly. and so we haven't really done that much. So anytime that that comes up, it's a really good thing to take advantage and of. For we sure. want to let you guys know. So it's at Urban Roots Garden Supply, which is on Del Mabry in Carrollwood. Yep. And uh, next week we have a great show lined up. It's going to be Alicia. Oh, yes, Alicia Bixler. She's the best. She's a, 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 a bee saver and a, a, a bee uh, keeper. She has lots of animals. She's a, the, a beautiful garden designer. It's amazing. She's fantastic. She's going to be here live, too. Wonderful. If you enjoyed this show and our weekly content, please go to WMNF.org, donating through the tip jar and directing your donation to the Sustainable Living Show. Like we mentioned earlier, in a month, we have a big fundraiser, and we need to reach our goal. Stay tuned. In the next hour, you will hear WMNF Tampa's Monday, and we have a guest. We have Mark Subbing for Flea. If you want to hear more public interest programming, you can switch over to WMNF's HD3 channel, The Source, to listen to today's Tom Hartman Show Live. Make sure to tune in next Monday to hear our next show at 11 a.m. And you can follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living WMNF, to stay in the loop. And to listen to our past shows, just go to listenondemandwmnf.org. I'm Kenny Coogan. And I am Annie Ellis. Remember, if you're looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. Bye-bye. You are listening to WMNF Tampa. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) Here comes the